Did you know that one out of three people in our world today have yet to even hear the name of Jesus? At 360 Serve, we believe we need to do something about that. God is a global God. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Every person on this planet deserves the opportunity to hear about Jesus, the gospel, the good news of God's love for them. I remember hearing a quote from Oswald Smith, and this quote, it just changed my life. And he said this, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone is heard at once? I mean, let me give that to you again. Why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once? 360 Serve is about a new way to do missions where we help you support indigenous church planners who are reaching the least reached people in their country for Christ. So many of us believe the most effective and cost-effective way to reach the billions of these least reached people in our world today is by supporting indigenous church planners who are already living in these countries. They know their language and culture. They're called of God. They're highly trained. And God is using them. Even right now as I'm speaking, he's using them to reach their country for Christ. I'll talk with you a little bit more about the support of indigenous church planners at the end of today's podcast. Welcome to the 360 Sir podcast. I'm your host, Mark Tyler. So good to have you with us. Right now, we continue our conversation with Pastor Daniel, who's going to share with us his wife, Erica's amazing story. Well, it's so good to be back uh, with Pastor Daniel from Uganda. Da- Pastor Daniel is actually in his car in Uganda right now recording this. And uh, we're talking back and forth and capturing this. So, Pastor Daniel, this segment here is on Erica, your beautiful wife and her story. And I can't wait for this because it's so moving. So the year is 1994, and I'm going to allow you just to tell this, Daniel. And uh, thank you again for being with us, Pastor Daniel. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'm so blessed to know you. Uh, also, I'm so blessed to know Mama uh, Tracy, who who is a very lovely mom to to us all and a very good wife to you. And then uh, I already asked that uh, that uh, let your children allow us to share her together because, yeah, she's very uh, passionate as a mother and very lovely when we saw her in the country. We really feel blessed and missing her so much. So I just want to uh, thank you so much also for this time. Uh, it was uh, it was in the year 1994 uh, that uh, uh, after the genocide, the official genocide in Rwanda, uh, that my church uh, was uh, involved into uh, the missions to be able to, uh, to, uh, to go to Rwanda after the genocide. Because we had Uganda being closed to, to Rwanda, we had already experienced that because dead bodies... Uh, uh, were able to to people who are being killed during the genocide. Some of these people, their dead bodies were thrown on water, and then the dead bodies were able to flow into our country through River Kagela, uh, all the way from Rwanda, because that River Kagela powers its water in Lake Victoria. So many dead bodies uh, were were on Lake Victoria. 
And these were the dead bodies from, from the country of Rwanda. So by that time, we are so much touched by my church. I, I really want to thank God that my pastor had that mission. It was a mission-minded church. And he really felt to go to the countries, to, to go and send some relief. So he mobilized the funds out of the church and people gave. And then we had a full truck of food and blankets and all these other things to be taken. And when they were looking for people to go, by God's grace, I was very young by that time. I was only 16, but maybe 15, almost 16 by that time. Uh, I surely uh, felt like I was to be able to go because I felt like God had already called me into missions and God had already called me uh, to be able to, to, uh, uh, to be a missionary. So I went among the people, very few of us, and crossing the border, just by crossing the border, we found dead bodies on the streets. Getting to Chigali, it was horrible. I cannot even tell. Uh, then getting into Chigali, of course, the town and the country had no power, no water. Everything was just cut off. People were still, some dead bodies were still on the streets of Chigali. And we had to look for a house to stay. Then going into the house, Alpha's house, I can't forget this, that it was a medical center where we went and we found the blood and dead bodies all around. And the leadership, by that time, they told us that that is the house where you can be able to stay. So we had to clean the house and we had to take away all the dead bodies away and clean the house. So they had to come and pick them up from there. You could just be washing uh, or cleaning the house and find a dead body in a room. I mean, it was just, it was just bad. So we were there for some time, for like a week. And then from there, that place was given to the Red Cross, I think, to use it by that time. And then we evicted to leave that place to go to another place. And uh, because we had a mission of, of uh, helping the orphans uh, who, were, who had lost parents during the genocide. So they took us to another district, which is the district of Gitarama, where we went and stayed uh, for the rest of our time from 1994. So that is how the mission went on and that is how we went to, to Rwanda to be able to give the relief and, uh, to these people. So most of the work that I personally did was to go out and uh, collect children because by that time, United Nations High Commission for Refugees used to go to the countries, to the neighboring countries to bring back the children who had lost their parents and also to, to search for children who had lost their parents within that time. And they having given, so the government gave us another, another building to use to collect children uh, all over the country. And uh, that is uh, what we did and we fed them and we did everything for them. But these children were traumatized because they had gone through a lot. So during, during the cleaning, I cannot even tell you what we saw and what we came across. But uh, uh, this was a Catholic a parish, a Catholic building that we were given to use. But what we found in those buildings, oh my goodness, it's very hard to tell. Uh, but it was just horrible that I cannot even explain. But God gave us the courage. God gave us the courage to be able to do this work with one heart, no, 
no, no, with, you know, no regretting why we went, but we were filled up by the power of God that we had courage and passion. Mostly when it came to people like us, people like me, who was raised up as an orphan, I really felt like I was very much moved by God to serve because I knew that that was what God called me to do. So we went to bring on these children from all different parts of the country and UNICEF and UNCR was bringing in more children to us. And yeah, we were blessed to bring them over and help them and, you know, love them and take care of them within that time. So after, like, I can't even remember how many months it took, but not, I think not even months, that's when I came to see Erica. So Erica's story started from there, that when I saw her, she came because I was like, I did like an administrator. I was registering, or a registrar. So I registered her story because whenever a child could come in, so we could record her story to be able to trace for the families. And uh, the soldiers brought her in and I recorded her story by that time. And I got to... But her story was very touching. I never knew how it would end up, but I was very much moved by Erica's story. So I started asking her how she came to, to be brought by the soldiers and how she was able to escape. So she narrated this story to me, how her father was killed and how she hid herself in, in, uh, uh, in a compound, how she saw her dad being killed, her mom being killed. Her brothers uh, survived, had survived because they were able to jump the wall and they, they ran. Though eventually within that 90 days, they all died. And then she, by that time, she had never known that her elder sister was still around, around but she thought that each and everybody had died. Let, let me kind of bring just uh, our listeners into exactly what happens here. So April 6, 1994, just so everyone's aware, not everyone's aware of the Rwandan genocide. And uh, we have two uh, ethnic groups, the Tutsi minority, of which Erica was, and then you have the Hutu majority, right? And ultimately, within 90, 100 days, they kill 800,000 Tutsis, of which Erica is one. And so literally on the first night uh, when the genocide began, the president, uh, the prime minister is killed in a, um, a, a plane crash, right? And then take it from there. What happens in, uh, uh, at Erica's house? Uh, what, what happened from that point on? And she, and, she, and she was living in the capital, right, of Kigali, uh, where this all began. So uh, go ahead and then take it from there. Sorry to interrupt you, but I felt like just to give a little bit of a context that this is what was happening. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was the time that the president died uh, in a crash, in a plane crash. And for them living near the airport, uh, close to the airport, and because of their hard tribal, hard tribe, it was very identical that they were already known because they were the minorities. So after that crash, that same night, that is when the militias from the airport came and they said that uh, that is when killing started right away. And her family 
was among the families that were killed right after the crash. And then uh, what happened was her father was right at home around eight and they were having dinner and something just happened that they had these people knocking and all of them knew that it was time for their death right away because it was already announced everywhere that this was going to happen. And then what happened was the, the dad asked them not to be killed and he told them, he asked if he would give them money and everything. And then they, they eventually said, yes, they took the money, but eventually they killed him right in the living room. And that is when everybody had run away out of the house because now everything was just in chaos. So the brothers were, the older brothers were able to jump the fence and they ran. And then Erica because she was the youngest, she was the youngest by that time. So her mother had to keep her and then help her to jump the wall. So her sister was able to first jump the wall. And then as her mother was also trying to help Erica to jump the wall, then her mother was also shot right there. And then she, Erica saw that whole story. This is the story that she cannot even tell, uh, that she cannot you know, even narrate. Uh, but uh, by that time, I was able to get this information from her and from her sister. So Erica saw her mom being killed. She saw her sister, uh, I mean, her father being killed. And she was now left in the compound by herself by that time. And, you know, her being in the compound by herself, by that time, she said she froze. She never knew how she even got out of that place to go and hide. She did not even know that her, uh, no, she did not, she just ran out of her mind by that time. But she saw her mom being killed and she, the mother screamed and they, she was cut into, you know, killed in a very horrible way. So Erica was able to escape that night, she says, and then she went to one of the neighbors to be able to, you know, to, uh, uh, because she needed protection. And then when she went to the neighbor's house, after a few days, the people came to know uh, that there was a young girl, a Tutsi tribe, who, uh, a Tutsi girl who was hidden in that house. So within the night, the neighbors from the same community came and knocked at the house and they were hunting for Erica's life. So they came and they told the neighbor in the midst of the night that if that opened for us, we want this little girl in this house because we want to kill her. So the neighbor told them that she, that they did not have the girl, but they had to open the behind door for Erica to be able to escape. So when they opened for her, she ran, not even knowing where she went, but she had to go and into the hidings. And this is the time that uh, she went into the forest. So she went into this forest for over three months and she hid herself into a pit for some time. So she was in that forest, a very dark forest. She could only come out in the midst of the night. She cannot tell which time was because by that time during war, you could not even tell whether it was one, two or 3 PM or even 11 AM because you know, chaos is chaos. You couldn't even tell whether it was a Sunday 
a Monday or a Friday. So this is where when she went to to the to into these hidings for all these days, she could wake up in the in the night and then she could pull out some raw food like potatoes and then she could eat that in the night and then she could go back into the pit so she was in the pit for days and days but one time uh one time she came out of the pit and then uh when she came out of the pit there were a, a gang of people actually who identified her who saw her one time and then this gang of people what happened is that they wanted to kill her fortunately by god's grace erica survived when you look at her she has a scar on her hand and then she has another scar on her chest and we are trying to treat this other scar now on the chest because it has been growing more bigger and now she she's been treated so that uh, it fades away and this is when they cut her and by god's grace one of the leaders of the militias said that uh, let her no at first the first group said that they were not going to let her leave so they cut her they cut her and then the other one cut her the chest and then they she fell into the dead bodies she says that hundreds of them and these people thought that she had died because she was filled up with blood everywhere and then erica got up in the night by that time again and then she walked to go to another place to hide and then when she went to that other place to hide that is where she also went into some other bushes and going into these bushes is where the lord also protected her life but within that time as erica was into these bushes into this pit one time she woke up she came out of that pit and she told god that god i want to die now let militias come and kill me because life has been has become very hard and then she said to god that may you please send me uh, any dangerous animal to eat me up because i don't want to be killed by the militias unless let me be killed by any other animal or let a, a, a viper or let a, path, a python come and swallow me up because i would not want to die by by machetes and by pangas so when she came out of this pit guess what there was a leopard right by the pit hole as erica came up the leopard was there so erica said unto god that this is the right time for me to die but i surrender my life into your hands now and the leopard did not eat erica the leopard did not eat her so within that time the group of people were able because this was a time that that these militias were always in the bushes looking for these people and they came to realize that she had hidden somewhere she was hidden somewhere so as they wanted to come and kill her then they came across this leopard protecting her she said that the leopard protected her for three good days and three good nights she did not eat anything she was just in the pit and after three nights 
this leopard went away and the militias had already gone away. So by that time, that is when Erica was able to survive. So she came out of the pit and there was no leopard and there, was, there were no militias. So this is the time that she walked as she was looking for a house or as she was looking for food to be able to get a place to have something to eat. Then that is when she was able to be picked up by the army in the army of the Iranian army right now. So they took up, they took her into the camp where they were living or into the barracks and they were able to dress her wounds. But of course they did not have enough by that time because it was still the time of war. And that is when this army people brought her to the orphanage center where I was working. So she told me all this story. And then my heart was so much moved as your heart has been moved. And I felt like this girl went through a lot. I had, you know, I had registered so many stories of so many children. But when it came to Erica's story, I was very much moved. I had never known her. She never knew me. And that was part of her story. So registering her, his, her story, she was in the orphanage center. Then after a few days, then her sister also showed up. She never knew that she was also alive. God, God is grace that the sister was also brought into the same orphanage center. And they came to see each other after that, after three months. And this is the sister that she follows. So they were there for, uh, from 1994 to 1997, almost towards the end of 1997. So 1998-7, then the orphanage center did not have enough support for the children. And they said that all children were going to be taken back home. But remember, she did not have anywhere to go. They never had any person because all other people had died and she was able to survive with only one sister in the whole world. So Erica happened to go back to Chigali. Uh, this was like, this is like 80 miles away from Chigali to Gitarama where we were. So she was able to walk, she was, she was able to go back to Chigali. So I had gotten my leave, my vacation to come back to Kampala. And when I came back camp, camp, when I came back to Kampala for some weeks, this is when each and everything happened. Because even us coming back to Kampala, now the, the, the orphanage was trying to survive, was trying to get ways of cutting down the, 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 the staff and cutting down the children because support had declined. And I never knew that Erica was among the, uh, among the, the children who were sent to leave the orphanage center. By that time, she was like 17 years. And I met her on the streets in Chigali. Just like that. I met her and I saw her and I told her that, Erica, what are you doing here? She told me that she narrated the story to me. And she told me that, no, we are stopped from this orphanage because they did not have enough food and resources and everything. So, And then I asked her that, now where are you living? So she came back and came across one of the neighbors who was a neighbor of their parents. And she asked her to be able to come into her home to be able to be there. But she was very desperate, disappointed, and felt like rejected. Then that is how we reconnected from that end. 
So from there, we reconnected again. And I really felt like my heart was attached to her heart. And I, I, I started, you know, communicating and visiting her. And then we started dating from that end until when I got to marry her afterwards. That was after she came out of the orphanage center. Then she eventually became my wife. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My goodness, yeah. I never knew <laughs> what was going to happen after, after four or five years but the Lord knew this before time. So we were able to marry. I was able to marry her. And then we got our first son, uh, Elijah, who is now 22. He's, yeah, he, he's, he's almost 22 now. And uh, we, when, when we came together in marriage, Erica told me that, but I will never live in a home without orphans. And I would never, ever be in a home without children living with me. And I never knew. My life was very desperate as I was raised up. I had come out of a broken family. And I did not know that we would even be able to be together and live together. So Erica had come out of that background. And I had also come out of the same background. But God is good that he connected us all together to be able to help many more children in Africa or in Uganda in particular. So Erica told me that I'll never live in a home without children. And even before we got our firstborn, our first son, we had already brought in children in our home. Right immediately after our marriage, Erica started bringing in orphans in our house. Mm. So, that is how it was. By the time that we got our first son, we already had many children living with us. So from that time, then we came to Uganda in 1999. And then we came with our firstborn, also Elijah. And yeah, that is how the Lord brought us back. And from that time, she has never gone back to her country. She said she does not even want to, to step in there. She said that, you know, she has no connection. No, I mean, yeah, she just feels like Uganda is another world for her. Mm. But one powerful statement that she said in her heart, that she forgot each and everybody who massacred her parents, her brothers and sisters, who did each and every evil in the country. And she said, if she's able to see them, the only message she can give to them is the message of salvation and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And she said that she does not have them on her heart. She said she just forgave each and everybody. Though she does not feel like connected to go back to that country. Because if she happens to go back to that country, she will feel traumatized to be able to go there. Wow. Daniel. Uh, just thank you for that. Uh, I think we're all moved by hearing that. You know, it's, I'm reflecting, I've done, I don't know, over 300 weddings. And I always ask the couple, well, how did you two meet? <laughs> and I can tell you one thing, never has a couple told me like the story you guys have <laughs> of how God has brought you two together. And yet, like you said, God has a purpose. He has a plan. And the beautiful thing as I look at your lives now, I see what God has done 
and through that background, how God redeems it all and has used you with your upbringing and Erica with her upbringing to come together and what a ministry has been formed and what God is doing uh, in Uganda through you two. And I can't wait to share that in future uh, segments. But thank you for uh, just your your wife is is just so beautiful. I love her smile. What a joy to travel with you two, for Tracy and I to travel with you two and spend time together. And we thank God for your marriage, your family, your passion for orphans, your passion for the work of God, of the gospel and church planning. And can't wait to talk about that. But thank you for uh, just sharing with us about Erica. Our prayers are with you two as a married couple uh, in your marriage. And uh, we just thank you for this session. And let's be praying, just listeners, for Erica, for Daniel, for their marriage, for their family, and uh, for our marriages as well. Let's pray for each other because God has a purpose and he wants to use us here as we share the gospel in the United States and in Uganda. So thank you so much, Daniel. We love you. And uh, what a great, amazing story that we've been so encouraged. I mean, thank you so much, Pastor Man. Just incredible, isn't it? What an amazing story of how God brought Pastor Daniel and Erica together And now they've given birth to this exciting church planting movement in Uganda. You're going to be hearing more about that in the upcoming episodes. But this movement is reaching thousands of Ugandans for Christ. So are you ready right now for the action step of the day? Let me share with you what really is at the heart of 360 Serve. We exist to not only introduce you to these indigenous church planting movements, tell you all these stories, but we exist to bring you into the game to get you off the sidelines, to move you into having a personal global gospel ministry to the nations. You say, well, how? Well, we help you support indigenous church planners from the country of your choice for, watch this, $50 per month. That $50 meets a church planner's critical needs and sends them into full-time gospel ministry, where on average, they will lead 120 people to Christ in a year and plant two house churches in that same year. And you will play a critical part in making all this happen. And we make it super easy. Hundreds of people like you have already done this. It takes five minutes and you can be supporting your own indigenous church planner. Go to 360serve.org. You select the country where you feel led, where God's speaking to you, and support a church planner for $50 per month, which is actually less than $2 per day. We'll mail to you the profile of the church planner you'll be supporting. This profile, it's going to give you their picture, their testimony, ways you can pray for them. You see, you're a partner with them. You'll begin receiving also a monthly email update on what God is doing in the country where you are partnering in reaching that area for Christ. So you can join your church planner praying for the gospel to move forward in that area of the world. Is the Lord speaking to you right now? I pray that He is. We would be honored to have you join our 360Serve family in supporting an indigenous church planner to bring the gospel, the good news, to all these least reached people we've talked about today. Thanks so much for being with us. I trust you've been encouraged and blessed. We'll see you next episode as we'll hear from Pastor Daniel, the exciting story of how God led him and Erica to watch this start an orphanage that is now sharing God's love with hundreds of orphans and families in Uganda. Until then, may the Lord bless you.